in moments of, of scarcity, people still turn to dessert. That um, They still want to make something celebratory, even when the ingredients aren't necessarily on offer. And so, you know, if there's not fresh produce, if it's difficult to get lemons or fresh dairy, you turn to things like vinegar mm-hmm. or um, to Ritz crackers in place of apples. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, I'm thrilled to welcome in my co-host, Eliza Barbernell, and her Cake Scene co-editor, Tanya Bush, to the studio. Cake Scene is an independent magazine and a hedonistic exploration of history, pop culture, literature, and art through sweets. That's a quote. The latest issue's theme is Humble Pie, and I speak with Eliza and Tanya about some of the issue's highlights that feature broad interpretations of humiliation and piping hot servings of contrition. Also a quote. Also on the show, Eliza has a great talk with Stacey Mayan Fong, author of the great new book, 50 Pies, 50 States. It's a really good conversation, and I really hope you stick around for it. Eliza Barbanel, Tanya Bush, this is Taste. We're back. This Hello. is Cake Scene. <laughs> <laughs> Rival publications. <laughs> I'm going to like run across both sides of the table and I do know. both. I know, right, because you're in the interview seat right now. So, Tanya, let me ask you, what was the last dessert or dessert-adjacent food to hit your mouth? It's mm, a great question. Um, this might be a controversial take on the question, but I had a bowl of grape nuts with cinnamon and sugar and whole milk. Uh, about two hours before I came here, which has become my wow. breakfast slash brunch of choice. And it's delightful. It's a throwback to the 20s. It's kind of got like a malty, yeasty flavor. I'm oh, loving it. Absolutely. love grape nuts. And love I love grape the, nuts. And the fact that you were specific about the milk choice. Mm-hmm. Which, whole milk, always whole of milk. Of course, with cereal, always whole milk. Mm, I love that. I think it counts. You think so? It's adjacent. Yeah, sometimes I'll put a little maple syrup in the milk, too. Oh, my God. A little so, flaky salt on top. Why grape nuts? Is this like a fiber thing? Or you're just making sure you're getting it? You're getting your grams? You know, I, I grew up eating grape nuts. I mixed um, Fruit Loops with grape nuts as a, a <laughs> way low. towards— Yeah, high-low, exactly. <laughs> uh, a way towards a healthier self. Um, but, yeah, so it feels sort of, like, nostalgic um, and, you know, always trying to get in my fiber. I love it. Eliza, what about you? I'm scandalized that Tanya's trying to pass off grape nuts as dessert. <laughs> You're a literal pastry chef. <laughs> I had a Cool House ice cream sandwich last night. Oh. What flavor? Natasha, right? From Cool House? Yeah. I I did not buy it, to be honest. It was left in my freezer, and I ate it. And it was chocolate chip cookie dough, and I put Mm. a little bit of tahini drizzled on Mm. it, and it was so good. So you actually are, like, kind of uh, souping up, so to speak, your, your ice cream sandwich a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I just always want nut butter in my dessert. And if it doesn't come with it, you know, that's why God gave me a jar of tahini. So love that line. I love that because I feel like right now um, tahini, it's like not as trendy as it used to be. Yeah, to be honest, like I can't even buy peanut butter because I just eat it all the time. So tahini was what I had <laughs> available had to me. Built. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's good tahini more press. I actually just did a tahini custard in a, a slab cake, which was really delicious and something that Eliza and I had chatted about. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so uh, Tanya, you're the pastry chef at Little Egg, which is the reboot of Egg, the beloved restaurant in Brooklyn. So happy that you're back. How's it been going? It's been going so well. It's been a delight. Um, we just celebrated our month month anniversary of being open. Wow. Um, and, 
yeah, it feels really good to be in the neighborhood. It's been really fun to be back in the kitchen. We're um, about to change the menu, actually, for pastries um, to incorporate more seasonal produce. That's going to be really exciting. Um, We've been doing a lemon rhubarb cruller that's uh, changing to a black pepper strawberry, which I'm super excited about. Um, We're doing a lemon shortbread with fennel and rye. Um, I'm super excited to play. So egg is, uh, little egg is not uh, only breakfast, right? There's definitely some, some, it sounds like cookies on the menu too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a a breakfast and lunch restaurant. Um, We do a weekly slab cake on Sundays. So that's sort of a a place where I get to play with a little bit more traditional dessert style. Um, We're running a special of hand pies. um, But, you know, we started by having this sort of like traditional tight five pastry menu. And then I get to iterate from there. And business is good? Business has been phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come visit us. I definitely want to. And I feel like it's the kind of place that you assume is like going to be always so crowded and you just don't go. I feel like there's like mentality with buzzy restaurants. Mm. But you got to go, right? You got to go to know. You got to go. You got to go to know. Um, we, we're definitely busy, but um, we're opening a backyard space soon, which Ooh. is going to up our capacity, which is really amazing. It's beautiful. It's shady. So I love that. It's going to be a great spot for the summer. Also, if you can go on like a Friday instead of proper weekend, I think your odds are much better. Pro tip there. I love that, Eliza, because I think um, with a smaller space and a newer restaurant, you're like, I don't want to wait. You know, it's annoying, but good tip there. Okay, you guys are in Kickzine. I I really want to have you back for every issue because it's just always such a joy to read. So your latest issue is Humble Pie. And let me ask you, Eliza, why is humble one of the most misused terms in public discourse? I'm quoting you from your intro. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a direct quote. (laughs) I think um, that's referring to this concept that when you watch the Academy Awards, say, or somebody accepting a presidential nomination, that they're always going to say, oh, I'm so humbled to be here. And people always say that in this moment when they're actually being elevated to this really high stature and position, uh, which is so funny that like this word is almost being misused or being taken out of that context. And I think that for us, when we were thinking about moving outside of cake, humble pie was such a fun title for us because it's an idiom that people are really familiar with. It has this kind of immediate reaction. We really like pie as a food item to be focusing on, which we can talk more about. But then when we started thinking about the humility aspect, we had to spend a lot of time just with our own editorial team defining, like, what does that mean to us? Are we looking for examples of moments when people are being humbled, when they're feeling cocky, when something is humble for maybe the ingredients that it's being used for? And I think similar to what we did in the past with Sexy Cake and Wicked Cake, Mm -hmm. our two previous issues, we're not really having a single definition. We're kind of blowing it out and thinking about all of the different angles that it can come from. It's really cool to have that kind of rubric when you're shaping your issue. How does that work exactly? Are you getting pitched and are you are you having like, edit, like editorial meetings? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, I want to read you the like opening line to our pitch call if I can call it up. Oh yeah, enough. I love it's that. A good one. Yeah, so like that's such an art. It's like when you're sending out the pitch call um, for a quarterly or for a literary journal. Yeah, okay. It, it opens like this, quote, I've eaten so much humble pie, it's amazing I still fit in this dress. Lisa Barlow, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Season 3, Episode (laughs) (laughs) 1. And so that's us kind of leading it off with this modern contemporary example of what we think of with humble pie. And then we had the pitch call kind of talking about these are what we consider to be pies. These are the kind of topics we're interested in. And Mm -hmm. like our last issue, we were really grateful to receive 
I might even say humbled to receive <laughs> hundreds said, of pitches. When you launch this thing, you're going to be saying that like all the time. Hashtag humbled, <laughs> hashtag blessed. We got so many pitches and Tanya really, I think, did the first brunt of effort of wading through them and pulling yeah. out the ones that were about cake or n- not about humility at all. And then from there, we have an editorial team that everybody kind of presents their proposed lineup, give or take a couple extra. And then we kind of battle royale it out. I love talk that. about it. So you say everyone looks at all the pitches and you come up with your list and then you kind of have your ideal lineups each. Well, we whittle the the pitches down to Got a it. sort of like top 30 or 40. Yep. Um, you know, we only generally have between like 12 and 15 slots. And yeah. then everyone comes with a lineup that they think is, you know, diverse in in form, in cool. um, content, in in approach to the theme. Yeah, because in, when you talk about diversity in form, it's, it's really cool in this issue. There's poetry, there's fiction, uh, there's a fable. I love that about what you're doing here. How, are you having fun, like just changing form? Yeah, that was such a delight, uh, delight to work with Isle and, and Kayla. Um, I, I have been a longtime admirer of Isle's work in their book, um, The Atmospherians. Um, and, and the story that we're talking about, um, The Humble Pie, is this sort of strange Shirley Jackson meets Roald Dahl-esque fable about the limits of leniency. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think it's oftentimes difficult to have fiction writers um, pitching towards a very particular theme. But I think that humble pie as an idiom is accommodating of so many kinds of of approaches that this felt like a really wonderful moment for us to start broadening the forms in the magazine. Yeah. Which was really fun. And I think, um, really speaks to what Tanya brings to the magazine as well because I don't have any sort of fiction background beyond the fact that I like to read fiction. So even when it came to getting the pieces in, Tanya and Angeline Rodriguez, who's one of our contributing editors, were really working on those because I could kind of only read it and say, oh, I really like this. Or like, does a full paragraph really need to be one sentence? And Tanya would say yes, and I would say, okay. Okay, yeah, it's a different type of edit- stylistic. editorial notes. Yeah, we're editing fiction. Wow, I, I, it blows my mind when you're talking about editing fiction. I, I no idea. Same. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me ask you, Tanya, there's a section called Desperation Pies, mm-hmm. and you talk about the role they've played through history, and then there's recipes there too. I love this package. Let's talk about what was, what's going on there. Yeah, so desperation pies are are pies baked out of scarcity, and I think it's really interesting. Rossi, who um, is a pie maven and wrote the intro, talked a little bit about how in moments of of scarcity, people still turn to dessert. Um, they still want to make something celebratory, even when the ingredients aren't necessarily on offer. And so, you know, if there's not fresh produce, if it's difficult to get lemons or fresh dairy, you turn to things like vinegar mm-hmm. or um, to Ritz crackers in place of apples. Um, and so we wanted to take a sort of contemporary take on this in, in our era of ingredient shortages. You know, yeah. eggs are expensive. Um, butter is expensive. Uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get fresh, lovely produce. And so we had we had these wonderful bakers, Camilla Wynn, um, Stacey May Yanfong, and um, Kate, Kate Ray. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> we can speak in unison. Can, yeah, yeah, and, and young, uh, young Grace Cho, uh, who's the pastry chef at Yellow Rose, um, and her partner um, contributing recipes were the sort of contemporary take on mm. a desperation pie. Love that. That lineup is, is, is just fucking great. Like, what cool voices with recipe development there. And with desperation pie, I think, obviously, we're, we're, we're drawn towards, like, wartime, like, U.S., like, World War One, World War II, um, times of, like, real, like, government-issued rationing. Now, I wonder, each of you, or, or either, was there a pie that come out of the pandemic? Which I think is a time of potential scarcity. I think we we certainly early in the pandemic had uh, real shortages, but we also just weren't able to grocery shop as much. So after, I didn't prep you on this question, but anything come to mind? 
Well, I don't know about like a new pie per se, but I do know that on TikTok, things such as wacky cake, uh, yeah. which is an oppression recipe that doesn't use any dairy or water pie, which um, is not in this issue, but it's something that we talk about a little bit in the intro, like both had big moments of popularity on social media. And I think that speaks to the way that um, people can like be inspired by the past. And I think that for ourselves, the way that this package came about is that we just happened to get pitches from people on this concept of desperation pies, scarcity pies, knowing the theme. And then we decided, because we knew we wanted to do more recipes than normal, this is twice the amount of recipes mm-hmm. we did in our, in our most recent issue, that um, we want to do that kind of package. And I think it's really fun. And for me, like Camilla Wynn is um, such, I think she's a master preserver is actually like the title mm-hmm. she has from the Canadian government. And fruit is really her specialty. So for her to do an apple pie for us that has no fruit in it at all, that truly is so delicious. If you're the kind of person that likes to eat like the crumb topping off of something, it's basically a crumb topping I mean, pie. hand in the air. I mean, right? Isn't that like all of us? Yeah. All it's, of us. it's amazing. And I think when we were shooting the recipes, we were eating them. And that was one that was so surprising to people and almost like a like the vinegar pie you eat it you know there's a lot of vinegar mm-hmm. in there the mock apple pie really could be apple if you don't know about it in that way and i think that's kind of fun for us that there can be some pies that are really highlighting the fact that they're using unconventional ingredients and other pies that are almost masking that and mm-hmm. they both can be successful mm-hmm. The Great Race. Uh, it's a film that was uh, released in 1965, and you you write about this in the issue. It took five days and two hundred thousand dollars, which is in modern money, one point seven million dollars, to film a pie fight. What the hell was going on there? It's a great story. <laughs> well, this is part of a, a whole timeline that we ran that Tara Kenny wrote. That's like the extremely creamy and incredibly close, brief but illustrious history of You couldn't pieing. help yourself with the headline. Yeah, I wrote it's, that one. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, I was yeah. happy so about good. it. It's a good one, yeah. Which I feel like, Tanya, from the very beginning, we were talking about wanting to do pie in the face in the issue. Yeah. Definitely. Which, like, as a baker, are you offended by the concept of making pies to have not th- have them not be consumed? No. Oh, my God. The delight of a food yeah. fight. It's a it's a kid's dream. It's also just like the pieing of political figures in our in our history, which is pretty great. I think you cover that in the timeline. Yeah, I think my favorite one in the timeline is this incident that happened with Rupert Murdoch in 2011 when there was a trial about the News of the World phone hacking inquiry, which is one of the publications that the Murdoch family was running. And somebody tried to pie him in the middle of parliament. Um but his wife at the time played college volleyball, and yeah. so she spiked it down like a badass, um, which I would personally would like to see Murdoch get pied, Yeah, Wendy Dang, right? Those yeah. Wendy's, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then Murdoch called it the most humble day of my life. Uh, and I think that when, like, when you assign a story, you hope that there will be fun and juicy tidbits that I come know. out of it. But when I read that one, I was just so happy that Tara had uh, found, like, such a perfect that. example. So this film, though, like, what's going on, like, with this pie— fight that was filmed in 1965. Oh, like, why does it happen in the movie? Yeah, like, what's going on? I mean, that's a very expensive shot. Right, it took, it's a five and a half minute long uh, scene. Tanya, what's going on there? I mean, I think, again, it's like the voyeuristic delight of watching people hurl things that are not meant to be hurled <laughs> at each other. Um, you know, I think we can both attest to the fact that it doesn't feel very good to be pied in the face, and these actors had to do um, a number of takes. I believe it took them, like, 
two or three days of filming um, to, <laughs> to get the shot. And Tara writes about the fact that uh, I think it's Jack Lemon, one of the actors, says that uh, it feels like getting hit with a ton of cement to be pied in the face. Oh, my God. Which I don't know what pies they were using, but Tanya and I did pie each other with whipped cream um, <laughs> while we were shooting the recipes for this issue. And it, it didn't feel like cement, but it didn't feel great, I would say. Nope. Let's talk about hand pies. You you definitely had, I feel like you had to cover hand pies. They're so personal. So let me ask you your own personal stories with hand pies. I think we all have our own. And hand pies being the, like, the personal pies, I think of like the McDonald's apple pies being one of the most famous ones. Uh, Eliza, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the McDonald's apple pies, also I don't know if a, a Pop-Tart would be considered a hand pie. Yeah, I think it would be. I think hot pocket? A hot pocket? Yeah. yeah. Hot pocket is definitely a hand pie, savory style. Yeah. I think a brown sugar Pop-Tart is probably the hand pie that I have the most firsthand experience with. But I think that Tanya actually has been baking a lot of hand pies recently. I have. We're actually running a um, toffee apple hand pie special mm, this great. week at Little Egg, which is very, very exciting. But I think, you know, it's it's so much fun to eat something in a sort of like small, compact, personal serving size package. And, you know, uh, they're convenient. They're simple. They're made for one. And I don't know, I was always someone who loved to have my own single oh. serving of something. It's it's sort of like the cupcake without fuss. Sometimes you don't want to share. You can't have a bite of my hand pie. No, because you got to get your own hand pie. And also the hand pie is sometimes fried, which just takes a pie to a whole new level yeah. of decadence, which is what Sarah Perry is writing about in the issue, is these Arbuckle Mountain hand pies that are fried pies that you get on the side of the highway that I think mm. I've never had before, but sound just so good. A highway pie sounds great. Just sounds like what I want. American dream, baby. American dream, the roadways. Tanya, let me ask you, last time we spoke, you had been working on a proposal. We were like chatting off off mic. And <laughs> now you have a book. So what, what's going on with your book? I love it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, I am uh, in the weeds of writing. Yeah. Uh, it's what's it been, called? What is it, when's it coming out? What are the details? It's called Will This Make You Happy? Yes. Um, it's coming out in fall of 2025, so long runway. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, but it's been it's been really exciting. I'm working with Forsyth Harmon, who is the most wonderful illustrator and collaborator. And it's a sort of literary cookbook. So it's it's narrative. It takes place over the course of a year, and it's a coming of age story um, where this narrator, who's sort of a proxy for myself, is sort of languishing about trying to find meaning, imagine a future, and she turns to baking as a <laughs> as a solve for her ails and sort of embarks on this this longer pilgrimage. Um, and the narrative itself is ensconced in the recipes. Oh. So Man. there are characters in them, and it's it's taking the infrastructure and the form of a recipe and using to a, that to accommodate a larger narrative. Sounds highly original. Sounds like it's hard to write. This would be challenging. It's definitely it's definitely hard to write. Um, I've always gravitated towards interdisciplinary projects, and I am um, in an MFA at, at Hunter, so that's been really helpful to have that sort mm -hmm. of institutional support. Um, but you know, there are obviously a lot of really exciting models um, that I turn to, like um, like Water for Chocolate mm -hmm. or Lori Colwin or Nora Afron, who I think have been um, thinking about and utilizing the recipe in dynamic forms for you know a long time. Yeah, I can't wait. In twenty five is can't come sooner. We'll have you back to talk about the, the book. You know when that does come out. And Eliza, let me ask you about the launch events. They've become pretty epic events, the, the cake zine launch parties. Yeah, I don't want to say legendary, but if I do, maybe it'll catch on. <laughs> so. let's, let's actually mm. say uh, launch three, what's happening there? Are you going to have tattoos? We are going to have tattoos. Great, like the, live tattooing. Live, live tattooing, which, you know, I, I'm writing a story for Taste right now about food tattoos as a trend. And 
I'm not writing it because of this, but I will say it has been in my head for a while, not only as somebody that has fruit tattoos, but uh, at our first launch party, which was last April, we did flash tattooing at the event. Anna Williams, who is a really talented tattoo artist that contributed illustrations to the first issue, is in LA, but she was in New York. And so we happened to ask her if she would do tattoos related to the magazine at the party. And it's kind of become a thing in New York in general, but definitely a cake scene signature. So we do have um, an artist named Angel. Their handle is Human Rind, and they're doing Flash inspired by the Humble Pie magazine. So there will be a pie tattoo that maybe people will get. Um, And it has been fun to see, especially at other events that are kind of in the cake scene orbit. I was at a pop-up recently, and I saw somebody that I didn't know with a tattoo from the most recent party, which... I know that my friends get them, which is fun. But when it's a stranger that is like excited enough about it, like even if to them it's not a cake scene tattoo, no. to me it's a cake scene. Did tattoo. you approach? No, I wanted to play it. I'm very chill. Yeah. So I played it cool. <laughs> it's yeah, you got to play it cool. You are a chill person. I agree. But also, I mean, what the fuck? You saw a tattoo from your second issue launch party. Yeah, it was very exciting. We're doing. My agent got a tattoo. Whoa. At the at the second issue launch party. There you go. Claire Mao, shout out. Shout yeah. out to Claire Mao. She's a real one. Yeah. She is. Um, we're doing a lot of fun things for the party. There's an artist, Cassandra Maella, that's a friend of ours that does a lot of work using secondhand textiles. Most of her practice is rooted in like kind of the Venezuelan diaspora as a Venezuelan expat. Um, and she has people drop off fabric that they brought out of Venezuela. And she's doing kind of a version of this practice where we're having people drop off donated um, used kitchen textiles That's at cool. Little Egg this coming weekend. So I guess it'll have already happened. When but this still, the, the installation having that at a launch party is pretty pretty cool and unique. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be using uh, like torn or stained kitchen textiles and she's doing kind of a pie-based weaving that we'll have at the party. We're workshopping what a pie-eating contest would look like for us. Okay, Tanya, what is that going to be? We'll see. It's, it's going to be um, speed, not quantity. Yeah. Uh, We're not pro food waste at Cape We are not no. pro food waste. Great. Absolutely I, not. I, there's so much waste at like parties and events always. I agree. Not at cake zine parties. The, the food is eaten, but it'll be like a hands behind the back who can eat the pie the fastest yeah. kind of approach. And we uh, do not have any copies of our first issue, Sexy Cake, left in print, really. We have a couple that we hold on to. And I think that we're going to give away one to the winner of the pie eating Man, contest. I love that. Are you printing more of issue three then? Maybe. We've been talking about doing a Valentine's Day re-release of mm-hmm. Sexy Cake now that we're printing in the UK and our cost structure is a little differently. But I think we're very much in the humble pie mentality. So we that. haven't really thought about it. So you you can buy, obviously, I'm going to link to in the show notes where to buy uh, the new issue of Cake Zine. But I was in Palm Springs and I'm like at the bookstore and I found a copy and I bought a copy and I, I have it. And I, I may have left it at the Airbnb just to pass it on. Just for someone else to read. I already had a copy. So I was like, oh, leave it in the Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah, we you can buy them online at cakescene.com and we do have stockists all around the country and we also are partnering with Antenna to do our distribution in Europe and the UK for this round. So we're excited about that too because it's been definitely expensive to be uh, ordering copies from Europe right now. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, Tanya, Eliza and I have been talking a lot about the the drink of the summer, the pastry of the summer, the food of the summer. So we've we've already had our moment um, what can you say about this upcoming summer? Mm, okay. Um, I think it's, again, a sort of tending towards nostalgic tastes. So I would I would wager that the, the chocolate lava cake is coming back oh, in full force. Did not expect that. I love that move. <laughs> wow. Tanya texted me this with no other context 
maybe around midnight last night. Chocolate lava cake, full text, is coming back. <laughs> Wait, where did you see it somewhere or you're just so, manifesting? So um, I ate one actually pretty recently at um, newly opened Bar Vinazzo, um, which is in Park Slope. I think it's... Uh, the folks who do Fausto and Lalu, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was very delicious. Um, and Ella Quitner is writing a piece right now uh, for Food Fifty Two on the lava cake, and I I ate a lot of those Domino's chocolate lava cakes growing up, and I think that they're going to be in vogue again. There's something about wow. just like a supple center that like decadent chocolate, sexy, sensual. There's something about it. So cake. your lava cake. Are you a chicken kicker fan too from Domino's? That wasn't my order. That wasn't your order. It no. was it was lava. It was cake it was lava cakes, and then it was um, those cheesy breadsticks. Cheesy breadsticks, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, what do you think, Eliza, about this lava cake idea? I, I feel like it's you're onto something, Tanya. Well, I'm curious from the pastry side of things. I know that a lot of the desserts we've been seeing in restaurants lately, like pavlova, for example, are things that are pretty easy to make in batches ahead yeah. of time and have someone that's maybe not a pastry cook. Execute. The Badino, for example. Badino, exactly. Um, and lava cake, to me, seems kind of tricky because it has the molten center going on. But maybe if it's being frozen and you can bake it off, like, do you feel like it would be pretty easy for restaurants to be executing? That's a great question. Um, lava cakes are pretty easy to make. It's essentially like it's uh, baking a chocolate cake at a high temperature so that the the center remains molten while the outside is crispy. I baked them in my kitchen, but I have never made them in a restaurant context. Um, And I don't really know how they would freeze. I would imagine probably pretty well, actually. So they're probably quite scalable. I'm here for it. You know I'm a a soft-serve summer is what I'm advocating for. Soft-serve is is definitely my choice, too. I like the lava cake, though. I'm I'm into it. All right, so let's talk about next issue. There's got to be an idea. Can we break the news on this this show, what your next issue's theme is, and when are you going to be sending out? Yeah, so we think about our themes um, two per year kind of being counterparts to each other. So our first year was our cake year with Sexy and Wicked Cake. This year is our idiom year. (laughs) So right now we have Humble Pie and then... In the winter, it'll be Tough Cookie, kind of like our holiday issue. Oh, that's cool. Tough Cookie. Yeah, which, Tanya, do you have any goals for Tough Cookie? I know that we're in the humble pie state of mind, but... Mm, Goals? Um, I'd like to keep incorporating new forms. We had some folks pitch us plays, Uh. listicles, comics. Um, I think that every time I get excited to bring on, you know, uh, genres that aren't necessarily represented in literary magazines traditionally... Mm but I think I would love it to be a more international issue as well. I think that there's a cookie from every culture, and I would be interested in in stories about cookies not just based in the U.S., but, you know, far beyond. Are you fans of cookies? Do you like them? I love a cookie. I think that, like, cookies are some of the things I make the most. I, I Now I'm just thinking out loud, but I feel like it would be really interesting to talk to recipe developers maybe about, like, developing the chocolate chip cookie because there are just so many versions out there, and I think if you're adding to that— like, that's a very crowded field. It's yeah. a tough cookie to be trying to, like, advocate a new recipe for. Yeah. So maybe that's a little inside baseball. It's why Jesse Shipshik's book is so rad. Yeah. Because, like, it's really hard to reinvent the cookie, and he did it so many times. Exactly. And when I worked at Bon Appetit, the cookie issue that we did for the holidays, like, every year it was a huge thing about who was going to be developing for it. I think that similar to doing the Thanksgiving turkey, there are some recipes in the American food world that are just— uh, tough territory to be embarking on, Mm. especially when there's so many online and a cookie, especially a chocolate chip cookie is one of them. Mm. Okay, let's close. This is hard, but each of you 
The issue is humble pie. Your favorite pie, Eliza, you first. Key lime. Have to say it. I love something sour. I love something creamy. I think that because I've had a lot of key lime pie recently, I've been thinking about it. And you know what? It gets better every time. Oh, my God. I, I, so follow up. What favorite place to buy a key lime pie? Well, I went to Steve's Authentic in Red yeah. Hook recently, which was quite good. But I will say, and this is not just self-promo, but this woman, Caitlin, that does Kate's Key Lime Pie for pickup in New York, her pies are really exceptional. And we're doing this Atlantic Beach Pie collab with her mm. that is also quite good. And she gave me like an entire pie to eat that I just demolished for breakfast over the past week. So I would say— week. That's I mean, willpower right there. You should see how big the pie was. <laughs> okay, it was a big pie. <laughs> I was like days in our house. Nice. It's just me right now, so I've been like taking little slices. Okay. But that pie is my pie. I love that. Tanya, what's your mm-hmm. favorite? I'm a simple girl with simple pleasures. I think um, strawberry rhubarb. Oh, my. Yeah, I love like a rye sort of nutty crust with it and then some whipped cream, maybe a little ice cream if I'm feeling fancy. This is fruit pie fam right here. Yeah, we're we're big on, you know, it's summer. It's got to think about that. the fruit pie. Liza Barbanel and Tanya Bush, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Stacey, thank you so much for coming on the Taste Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. So to start, I just have to know, like, when did you first fall in love with pie? I think I fell in love with pie seeing it in movies. Like, peop- like I watched a lot of movies growing up with my dad. It was like a thing we did every Sunday was watch a movie. And there would be all these people going on these lo- road trips, going to diners, eating a slice of pie, or ending their long day at work, like, at a counter eating a slice of pie. And I was like, wow, there's, like, it seems so, like, nice and comforting. And, like, I came—I gr- I was born in Singapore and grew up in Hong Kong where, like, pie was more of a savory thing. It wasn't really a sweet thing. And I was just like, wow, like, in America, there's so many different kinds of pie. And all I really want to do is go on a road trip and eat pie at all these different stops. Like, it just seemed very romantic to me. American is apple pie. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I love that. So do you remember the first time you had a sweet pie? I think it was when I was here on vacation. My dad worked in the hotel business, so we came to America a lot, like, on vacation and stuff when he was working on projects. And I had, like, an apple pie a la mode. And I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever had. Like, the textures, it's, like, cold and it's hot and, like, it's flaky and buttery. And, like, it hits all those notes that you want, like, in a dessert. And, yeah, I've been in love ever since. I love that. Um, And I'm so curious about when you made the transition from loving to eat pie to loving to make pie, because I love to eat pie. But every time I've tried to make pie, it's been mildly traumatizing, like more than (laughs) any other thing I've tried to make. Um, So I'm curious about like your experience. When did you start baking pie? So I've always really loved baking growing up, like baking and cooking has always been like really comforting to me. And I really started delving into the world of pie around like 2015. I had been in the city for about five years and I was feeling really lost and I didn't know really what to do with my life. And my best friend that year bought me the 4 and 20 Blackbirds cookbook. And I love that bakery. I love Melissa and Emily so much. And I decided, you know what, what if I tried baking my way through this cookbook as a way to just like figure my life out like Julie and Julia style. 
But with a pie cookbook. But with a pie cookbook. Yeah. So there were a lot of disgusting, terrible things that happened in the kitchen. You know, like, it's it's so temperamental. But I'm one of those people that, like, once I decide I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, like, full on and I'm not going to give up. And so it was a lot of trial and error. But it was also kind of like taking the Julia Child method where, like, no fear, right? Like, you're going to make a mistake and you'll get over it and then everything will be okay. And, yeah, I baked my way through that cookbook and I realized that in the end, like, baking pie is all about, like, a feeling. Like, a recipe is great when you're making crust, but so many factors come in, right? Like, air temperature, how humid it is. Like, are your hands really warm? Is your butter cold enough? And, like... I just like settled into the fact that like it might not always be perfect, but at least I'll have a pie in the end. I like that as a life motto, honestly. (laughs) And I think that's really true. And that hinges on maybe my difficulty with pie is that I do think so much of it is about technique and knowing when things feel right. And if you just are like me and you're afraid to mess it up, then you're never building that kind of knowledge base. So I feel like a challenge where you're baking through the whole pie cookbook is actually a really good way to be just kind of getting familiar with how things should look and feel. Right. And also, like, another thing is that with pie, you could just cover it in ice cream and then every all your sins are covered up and everything is fine. <laughs> I don't know why I haven't thought of yeah, that. Yeah, you just warm it up. Like, anything that's warm with ice cream on it, like, it's perfect. People love it. I love that. Um, So this is when you started baking pie. I know that. um, So we're here to talk about your new cookbook, 50 Pies, 50 States. But that was a project you were doing before the cookbook. So I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the idea behind it and like how it felt when you were first getting started. Yeah. So around 2016, um, I had kind of exhausted the amount of times that I could reapply for my work visa that I had in the States. And it came time to really decide like, Should I apply for my permanent residency here? And the company I was working for at the time was very generous in helping me to do so. It's a very, like, long, laborious process. There's a lot of, like, visa interviews and paperwork to do. And I thought, you know what? It'd be really fun to, like, start a project where I learned more about the country I've chosen to call home. And I'm able to give back to the people that have made this place my home. And I'd been baking pie then for like a little over a year. So I was okay at it. And I was like, you know what? It would be really cool to figure out and learn facts about each state in America through pie. Because there's little that's more American than pie. Only maybe Dolly Parton. And um, and also like pie can be savory or sweet. So anything can happen. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to bake a pie based for each day in America. And then I'm going to give it to that person that I know from that state. And the pie would include like some sort of like state fruit, um, state food or like regional cuisine, because everything in America has like a state food or a state bird or a state flower. So like the research was kind of like already there. I just had to like kind of take all that information and interpret it to myself. And Yeah, that's how the project got started. And like I did it purely just for fun. And so I had something like to do. And also it was like my grand like rom-com Nancy Myers, uh, Nora Ephron gesture to my friends to show them how much I love them. Which I just have to say, I recently found out that you have a dog named after Nora Ephron. I do. So I do. <laughs> you're living this lifestyle to I the live, fullest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what states were the first ones that you came up with and what were the hardest ones to come up with? So when I started the project, 50 seemed like an insane number. It seems like a lot to me. It was a lot. So I started a spreadsheet. I am a Virgo. So the spreadsheets come along with me everywhere I go. The spreadsheet came out. <laughs> and so it was... 
I wrote down all the states. I wrote down like if they had like a state fruit or a state food and like a regional cuisine. And I only ever thought about the project three pies at a time so that I could focus in on like Alaska, Alabama and Arkansas. Like those were the three that I was going to think about. I wasn't going to think about any other pie. And so I did them in alphabetical order because that made sense to me. I did have a think where I was like, should I have done them when they entered the union? But that's the most, it's such a jumble. That's like extra credit. You don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. We ain't got time. So then I did an alphabetical order. So the first pie I started with was Alabama. And did you have people from all of the states or did you go out and befriend somebody from Alaska because you didn't have one? So I still don't know anybody from Alaska. Well, I do, not no one that's like a friend. Yeah. Um, I had a friend that went to Alaska um, and like lived there for a little while. So the pie went to him. But there are still certain states like I would like to meet someone from North Dakota, Alaska. Um, where else do I have? Can- no, I have a Kansas There's still so many that I need to meet people from. But the best part about this project is I've met more people because of it. Like my roommate, Steph, I met her through this project and she's now one of my best friends and she got the Delaware pie. So it's like kind of like this pie project has brought me so much more like love and light and people in my life that now are my family, which is like kind of the most wonderful part of it. I love that. How did you, how did you meet her through the project? So when I first started the project, I did a Kickstarter and my friend Brian Casper, who got the Wisconsin pie, he did all like my branding and all the really, really wonderful like um, hand painted type for like each state. And when I was doing my Kickstarter, I was like, I got to the Delaware pie and I was like, I don't know anybody from Delaware. And my friend Brian was like, oh my gosh, my friend Steph is from Delaware. You should meet her. So we started chatting and then she ended up moving to New York and needed a, a roommate. And at the time, my my roommate that I had was moving out. So Steph moved in. And yeah, the rest is history. What was in the faded Delaware pie? So Delaware was a peach custard pie because peaches were first planted in the state of Delaware. Wow. So you'd think that Georgia would get the peach pie. Exactly. Exactly. Plot twist. Plot twist. (laughs) This is such a good testament to your baking that your pie was so good that this person was like, wow, I have to move in so that I can hopefully (laughs) get more free pie out of the situation. Anybody that has lived with me has eaten a lot of pie in the last few years. Honestly, all of my friends, kudos to them for eating every bing bong pie that's come out of my kitchen. I mean, put me in the rotation if you need other people. (laughs) Did you think at all about wanting to have a mixture of sweet and savory in the book? Yes. I thought I am a savory person. Um, I'm very salty. Um, I love savory food. And I also grew up, um, I was born in Singapore and I grew up in Hong Kong, which are both British colonies. And like for us, it was like all savory pies. It was like meat pie, steak and kidney pie, fish pie. So I knew that I wanted to incorporate savory pies into the book. I wanted there to be like a good balance because I love a savory pie. Me too. I think savory pie is so comforting in a way that few things are. Yes. Yeah. And I also really liked in the dedication to your book, I think you dedicated it to your grandparents and you were kind of saying what they would probably say to you about it and that your grandma would say, oh, it's not too sweet because I was like just talking with my Asian friends about how that's like the highest compliment you can give a dessert, you know? The highest compliment is it's okay. It's not too sweet. And you're like, did it. <laughs> There's like a TikTok that was going around recently that someone saying it's not too sweet. And they just like, I don't know why I'm trying to explain a TikTok because it never goes well. But they like Yu-Gi-Oh level up kind of, yes, you know, because yeah. that's how high of praise the compliment is. 100 percent. Like if I give if I get my dad like a slice of cake or like a pudding or something and he says it's not too sweet. Boom. Done. 
I End of day. It's perfect. So now does everyone in your life, are they all pie fans? Everybody's a pie fan. Um, also, I feel like I've barely met anybody that doesn't like pie. Like, pie is one of those things where it's like, it's very comforting. It's great to eat. It's good at all times of day. It can be savory. It can be sweet. Like, it's such a wonderful thing. And also, like, even people that, like, have a funny like experience with pie where like they try baking one and it ended bad like you still laugh about it because like at the end of the day like pie is so comforting yeah and just because I wouldn't want to make a pie doesn't mean that I would have a problem eating a pie exactly exactly (laughs) but I am curious as you know I do have this kind of phobia of making pie crusts like what was your approach when you were developing your recipe do you have one base crust that's in all of the recipes in the book and how did you like land in on your version of the perfect pie crust So I have a base recipe and then like for all the flavored crust that I do, like it's a riff on that one. And it's based on the 4 and 20 Blackbirds um, pie crust. Their pie crust is incredible. You know, you can make pie, you can use different fats for your pie crust. I'm an all butter girl, all butter forever. Love it. Um, I've tried other fats like lard and stuff and it's, it tastes good, but it's just, it's hard. It's hard to detach from butter once you've had it. And like, It was one of those things where it was all trial and error and it was all just like touch and feel and also figuring out like the water, like the water ratio, like water to vinegar or water to vodka because the vodka or the vinegar like helps when you're cooking it in the oven, like that burns off faster. So then like you get like a better rise and a flakier texture and yeah, it's all trial and error, but at the end of the day, it's pie. It's blowing my mind what you just said about vinegar or vodka baking off faster in the oven and creating, I guess, is it the steam would create the layers? The little puff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like this is one of my other issues with pies that I don't really understand the chemistry or the approach behind it. And I think like once you can understand why you're doing something, like the process is so much more clear. Right. And like, I feel like for me, the best way of learning is doing. So it was a lot of doing and then a lot of being like, oh, gosh, like this is way too wet or like this is way too dry. And like getting that feeling and like looking at the texture made more sense than like you can read something over and over. But if you can't visualize it, it like kind of makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. Did you feel any pressure doing the New York pie recipe because that's where you live? Yes. The most pressure ever. Like, how do you encapsulate like a place like New York State, right? Like, there's so many facets to New York. And also, it is my home. And most of my friends that are featured in the book, like, live here in the city. Like, since I was 15, like, I've wanted to move to New York. I've wanted to live here. Like, there are all these dreams and everything attached to it. Like, how do I put it into pie form? And so for New York, I ended up for the project making 150 mini pies and I split the pies up between like my yoga studio, my tattoo shop, like my favorite provision store, R&D foods. And then I threw a huge party for all my friends um, and they all got to eat pie and seeing like everybody that I love in New York that's that's made this place my home, eating my pie all together was so, so special. And the pie I did for New York was of course an apple pie But I was like, how can I make it special? And one of the first memories I have of being in the city was we were here on a business trip with my dad and we went to one of his friend's houses and they had an Entenmann's coffee cake 
on the on the table and it was like the smell of coffee, the Entenmann's coffee cake. And I just remembered that like thick crumb on top, the like thick crumble. And I was like, I want to emulate that thick crumb onto an apple pie. And so like that's what I use as a, like the topping on the pie. That sounds so good. <laughs> uh, also, like I, I feel emotional thinking <laughs> about like everyone at the tattoo shop and the yoga studio getting to eat your pies because um, I feel like they get to understand more about you as well, right? Exactly. And it's also like, you know, New York is not the easiest place to live. It's very, very hard to go through day to day being in the city. You are like one tiny ant in like a sea of other people. And you have these like checkpoints in your life where you're like, I know I'm going to see this person where I get coffee or I know like I'm going to see these people when I do yoga. Or I know I'm like this is like this is like my bodega guy, you know, like you're like these are your people. And like those people like your friends play as much of a role in making this place comforting and wonderful. So why not give them a slice of the pie? I like that. A literal slice of the pie. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think um, there's a reputation that New Yorkers are not that friendly, which I have found that the opposite is true. I think like if you're in the public space, if I'm taking the subway, I'm commuting just like I would be in my car. So I'm not as apt to talk to somebody. But in general, I think that there is such a like community vibe of living in New York that being able to share those pies with people is kind of celebrating and playing into. 100%. Yeah. And were the mini pies the apple crumb that you were talking about or were they a different recipe? Yeah, they were the apple crumb. But in my cookbook that's coming out, I also do a version of the recipe where it's just one pie. So you don't have to eat. So you don't have to make 150 mini ones. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest uh, challenge with doing mini pies? I would say just timing. Like and everybody's like, oh, make it mini, make it mini. It's so much harder to make things small because it's the same amount of labor to make the big thing just smaller. So it's like that was harder. And also, like, I wanted the textures all to be right, like the ratio I had to get right. Because, like, with a 10-inch pie, like, it's kind of like, you know, the ratio is going to be fine. Like, between the filling and the topping, you kind of have an idea because you've done it many times before. But for a mini one, yeah, you got you got to get it right in one bite, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you have to be, like, doing all the little crusts and then timing them in the oven, yep. right? It sounds like a huge pain. <laughs> I mean, when I baked the 150. I baked them in a few batches and every single surface in my Brooklyn apartment was covered in a mini pie, like cooling on a cooling rack. Oh my God. And all those like cartoon Mickey Mouses out there, like wafting on the fumes <laughs> yeah, of all I of know, those seriously, pies. Seriously. So I want to talk a little bit about the recipe that you made for the upcoming issue of Cakes and Humble Pie, uh, which is a spam masubi pie. What was the inspiration behind that? So when when Humble Pie, like, came to be and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what could I do? What could I research? The first thing that came to mind was spam. So I grew up in Singapore and Hong Kong, and spam is a big part of our food there, as it is in Hawaii and Korea. And the common denominator there is that spam made it over there because of war and because of America and GIs bringing spam over as like during like depression in sense of like not enough food and it's like a canned product that like goes really far and it's cheap. But what all these cultures have done is taken spam and like made it their own with like Korean army stew or spam masubi or like we have like in Hong Kong, we've got like macaroni soup that has like spam in it. And so I was like, at the end of the day, isn't Spam like the most American food ever? And isn't Korean army stew just as American as apple pie? And Spam masubi is just like that as well. And so how fun would it be 
to make spamasubi into pie form. Like it's kind of like a play on what is the most American pie. Yeah, I love that. And I'm wondering if you can walk through like what are all the components of the pie? Because it's the sort of pie that when you slice into it, it has a a show-stopping moment. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, how can I make, how can I pay homage to a spamasubi in pie form? So I knew I wanted like a nori flavored crust, like little bits of seaweed, just that savory briny in the in the all butter crust and then it has the rice the cooked spam um in the sweet soy and then more rice and then furikake on top and then it's served with kewpie mayo so you get all the good textures plus the extra crunch of the pie crust it's also like a very uh, like effective way it's very portable like it, the slice holds together yes. so well <laughs> i mean spam masubi is very portable as well but yep. i feel like this is a picnic pie in a true sense oh yes you can definitely hold it in your hands and another fun thing i did with the pie was you know every good american pie has like a beautiful lattice on top and i was like how can i emulate that and so i cut strips of seaweed sheets of nori sheets and made a lattice out of that so again like another play on like what is american Yeah, I like that too. Um, Did you have a moment when you were thinking, oh, I don't know if I should be putting like carbs into carbs? Never. Never? No, No, I'm not afraid of a double carb or triple carb moment. (laughs) I mean, you shouldn't. And it's not that different than like a chicken pot pie that has potatoes in it exactly like that exactly i mean it's it's definitely more rice but um i think uh you know when we were photographing all the pies for the magazine we had some friends come by and eat them afterwards and the spamasubi pie was just like this moment of pure delight for people when they saw it i think it was um it's such a fun idea of like combining all these different things that people love and something that's instantly recognizable in both of those ways right and it's kind of that's the best part i think about pie is that it's just a circle like in true reality it's just a circle it's a blank canvas and like it can be anything you want it to be just like your life in America and like what you're doing as a person like you can do whatever you want you can be whatever you want you just have to like think about it in a different way and look at it in a different perspective and that's like kind of how I approach baking pie yeah, I love that. And I also think it speaks to the way that spam has been repurposed in so many different communities as well, right? That you can look at something and say this is foreign and it's something that like maybe not everybody likes, but that it can be a cornerstone of all of these different dishes. And so beloved that like you literally have a spam sticker on your water bottle on the table right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just a rectangular can of meat, like tasty, salty meat. And you can take that and make it whatever you want to be. You know, it's great. Spam's the best. We're getting so many inspirational quotes out of this right now. I'm going to go like embroider a bunch of pillowcases and sell them on Etsy. I love that. I love that. (laughs) So I'm curious, you know, you've done all these different pies. We've talked a lot about apple pie being the most iconic version, maybe. If you could have your dream world, what would be like an underrated pie that would be just as ubiquitous as apple pie? So, you know, what's the pie that no one really talks about, but I am obsessed with is the Atlantic beach pie. I'm so excited you said this. (laughs) Keep going. I'll tell you after. I'm obsessed with the Atlantic beach pie. I think it is so delicious, mainly because I love any dessert that's citrus based. Yeah, walk me through the components. Okay, so an Atlantic beach pie uh, was developed because it was like a dessert that you could eat after eating a lot of seafood. Um, I believe in South Carolina. And um, so it's a saltine crust with like a lemon lime custard filling and either a meringue or a whipped cream top. I love a whipped cream top over a meringue top. But yeah, I just think it is the perfect pie like texture wise 
like eating in the summer, honestly, also eating in the winter. But yeah, the saltine crust is kind of a game changer. Okay, I'm so happy that you said this because uh, Cake Zine is doing a collab with Kate's Key Lime Pie. Have you had this before? No. This is like a really great key lime pie kind of only baker in the city that has a lot of pop-ups. And we're doing a collab pie flavor, and it's an Atlantic Beach pie. Oh, my God. That's incredible. (laughs) Like mini Atlantic Beach pies because um, the theme of the issue is humble pie, and the saltine crust just kind of like speaks this idea of elevating humble ingredients. So we're going to have them as a pop-up. I think by the time this podcast comes out, the pop-up pickup will be over. But at the Humble Pie launch party, we're going to have the uh, little mini Atlantic Beach pies available. So I'm like so happy. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, I love I love an Atlantic Beach pie. Everybody go get one at the pop-up if you can. Like they're so delicious. So delicious. And also like a saltine crust, I think, doesn't really get its due in the same way that, you know, graham cracker crust is getting all of the glory. No. And also, it's so nice to just have saltines around after you make the crust. So like, yeah. In case you get sick. In in case you get sick. Or if you need a quick snack. Yeah. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah, seriously. That's so fun. Um, So, okay, we're talking a lot about pie. I have a a question for you, but your answer does not have to be pie. But if you wanted to, it could be, which is if you could have a menu item named after you anywhere. So at like a bar or an ice cream shop or a sandwich shop or maybe a pie bakery, what would it be and what would be in it? This is a really tough question. You um, could do a pie answer and a non-pie okay. answer. I helps. feel like the first thing that came to mind would be it would be so nice to have like a bagel sandwich named after you, like based on your bagel order. Yeah. So in my cookbook um, for the pie, I did a few bonus pies to the 50 pies um, that kind of like explained to you like how I got here in the first place. And there's a pie dedicated to Brooklyn, which is my home where I live. And it is based on my bagel order, which is a poppy seed bagel toasted with uh, lox, uh, scallion cream cheese, sliced onions, And then I'll go home and add thinly sliced lemons to it. Whoa. Because like the bitter rind of the lemons. And this is something I learned from my best friend Lauren's mom, Joanne. Like I learned it from her and it just like it takes it to the next level. So it'd be really nice to have that um, as my like sandwich at my bagel shop named after me. And I'd probably call it the break the bank. And then the second version of that is when I'm like, a little too poor to afford it when you can't get the fresh locks. It's just the locks spread, but everything else is the same. Yeah. I, I love the idea of taking home a bagel and adding things to it. I'll do that in the summer if I have like good tomatoes for oh, the farmer's yeah. market because the bagel shop tomatoes are not nope. the best. But um, I love that order and I love it in pie form as yeah. well. I feel like, yeah, like that would be a fun thing to like. And also like such an iconic thing, like your bagel shop like has something that's like yours. Yeah. Um, the Stacy also is just like because <laughs> you can be the Stacy. I can be the Stacy. Wait, so just the pie version what is in the pie version? So the pie version is a poppy seed uh, pie crust, and then it's a scallion like quiche center, like egg based center, and then um, the topping is the lemons, the the fresh locks, and sliced onions. Then sliced onions, yeah. Okay, you have to say a pie. I know, I know that would a pie is hard. Honestly, it would be fun to have like a pandan custard pie named after me. Um, so. Pandan is a flavor that's like very common in Singapore and it's kind of this beautiful like coconutty floral fragrant. Yeah, it's, it's like grassy also mm-hmm. in a cool way. Very herbaceous and the color that comes from a pandan leaf is like this beautiful green, like a bright bright green and it'd be so fun to have like a pandan custard pie with like 
a Kongwan like um, biscuit crust. So Kongwan is this like big biscuit company in Singapore. And I used to eat a lot of Kongwan biscuits growing up, mainly because my grandpa would give me the biscuits. So I would stop talking because I would just want to talk to him all the time. My grandpa, I love him. I love him so much. He's since passed. But like he lived in Singapore and I lived in Hong Kong. When I, Whenever I went back to Singapore, I would just want to tell him all the hot goss, all the hot toddler goss. Um, and I would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And so he would just feed me these biscuits so that I would shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's going to be your pie is those be biscuits with the pandan custard. Yep. That sounds delicious. <laughs> well, I hope I hope all of these become pies. I think you probably deserve a break from making pies after so many. But <laughs> when the spirit moves you, I hope that maybe you make that one and I get to come try it. Yes. I will for you, for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming by. This was so fun. Thank you. This was truly the best. I had the best time. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.